right, and welcome in everybody to another episode of Connor and Coverage. We do this every Tuesday night, our last show before Thanksgiving on Thursday. Hope everyone is excited for a wonderful holiday that should be a lot of fun. Uh, I know I'm certainly looking forward to it. Uh, looking forward to a variety of food, seeing some family, seeing some friends, and having a great holiday. Uh, before we get there, though, we've got a little bit of business to discuss tonight. Uh, new college football playoff top four. Real shakeup there in the top four. I'll talk about, obviously, what it means for Georgia going forward. An update on George Pickens, uh, more positive than I think we've seen in a couple weeks. Obviously, still waiting on clearance there for him and him to be medically cleared to play. But I don't think you do the things that Georgia is doing if you don't expect to get that clearance there. And I would note he did dress out for the first time all season on on this past Saturday's game against Charleston Southern. Obviously, he didn't play in that game. But again, more encouraging signs we continue to see from George Pickens and, you know, potentially believing he might be able to help Georgia for that SEC championship game against Alabama in some capacity there. And then finally, we're going to talk a little bit about Brock Bowers. I was sort of working on a story on him earlier in the week. And then obviously today, the Mackey Award finalists are announced and Brock Bowers was not one of them. Uh, he's the leading receiver on the best team in the country. Uh, he's been a huge part of this offense this year. He's been really one of the only, maybe even the only consistent receiving option Georgia has had all season. And yet he was not voted as one of the top three finalists for this award. And I, I find it very curious. Some of the online reaction, I know his coach uh, position coach, Todd Hartley had, a, had an interesting comment about that. We'll talk about him and the season he's had and why sure he might not win the award this year. And he, he won't now not as a finalist, He's still been a huge boost to this program and what this passing offense has been able to do. So we'll get into a little Brock Bowers talk there. And obviously answering any questions you have, we can talk about anything. Georgia football, favorite Thanksgiving sides, best way to cook a turkey, and there's only one way to cook a turkey properly. Uh, we'll get into all that tonight. So thank you guys so much for tuning in. Uh, again, we do this every Tuesday. My name is Connor Riley. And so first off, we will start. With the new college football playoff rankings, there is a new top four. Georgia still obviously coming in at number one. Ohio State, fresh off its dismantling of Michigan State, moves up to number two, jumping Alabama in the process. And then because of the Oregon loss, Cincinnati moves up to the number four spot. Michigan comes in at number five. Notre Dame, your number six team now. So a lot of moves, a lot of shakeups. Oklahoma State is number seven. Oklahoma is number 10. As I've written a few times this week, I think those are the only eight teams that have a realistic chance at making the college football playoff. And six of those teams are going to go head to head in the next two weeks. You obviously have Michigan and Ohio State this weekend. You have Oklahoma State and Oklahoma this weekend and possibly next weekend as well there. And then next weekend, you also have Georgia, Alabama. So I think the biggest takeaway here is it's that two, three, four setup. Ohio State at number two, Bama at number three, Cincinnati at number four. Now, Bama actually has a pretty good win on its resume, and it actually is a better win than Ohio State does. Ole Miss is now the number eight team in the college football playoff rankings and may very well have secured itself a spot in a New Year's Six Bowl, potentially, uh, if you know, Alabama does not make the playoff. They might end up Ole Miss going to the Peach Bowl representing the SEC as a third team there. So Alabama, again, they have not been really all that impressive, and they are not playing their best football at this time of the season. They had a one-score win over LSU. They had another one-score win over Arkansas. And then you think back earlier in the season, they were a, a two-point conversion away from going to overtime against Florida. This team has showed us more often than not, in hostile and not even hostile environments, because the Arkansas and LSU games were at home, this Alabama team is not quite on the same level as Georgia, certainly, 
and then you have Ohio State there, who is playing its best football of the season at the end of the year. They're going to play a Michigan team this week, and you know I, I think this Michigan team is a good team, but if that Ohio State offense is clicking in the manner that it did against Michigan State, and obviously we all sort of thought beforehand Michigan State was a little bit of a paper tiger up there in the top ten, and I think now Ohio State has really exposed them for being a good team, but clearly not a playoff caliber team. And this Ohio State team, if Georgia does not win the SEC, Georgia, I, I believe, may potentially end up playing Ohio State in that college football playoff semifinal there. And so before we get too far into that, though, Cincinnati at four is interesting. This is the first time ever a group of five team has been ranked in the top four. It's the highest ranking they've ever had for them. And it leads you to believe that if Cincinnati keeps winning and they win their last two games, they're in all likelihood going to be in the college football playoff. Notre Dame only has one game left that is against that is at Stanford, and they're not going to have the juice to jump Cincinnati if Cincinnati keeps winning because Cincinnati has that head-to-head double-digit win at Notre Dame earlier this season. I, I would say some people I think are being dismissive of the Big 12. I could see a world in which they are able to climb up there. I could see Oklahoma State jumping um, – Jumping Notre Dame this weekend, and then obviously if Ohio State beat Michigan, you drop back and you have Oklahoma State suddenly at number five next week. And if Baylor wins, that gives Oklahoma State two chances to rack up two top ten wins uh, in consecutive weeks there. Oklahoma, I think, has a little bit of a tougher road to getting into the playoff, even though they are the bigger brand name. They're going to have to jump Baylor and Ole Miss, who might not lose and might not show that they are inferior to Oklahoma in that time span there. So what does this mean for Georgia in terms of the college football playoff and specifically that SEC championship game? I think this, this move by Cincinnati and Ohio state jumping them there. I don't think the committee is going to put Alabama and Georgia in a college football playoff semifinal. If Alabama loses in the SEC championship game, I don't think you're going to drop them down to four. I think they're going to be dropped out of the college football playoff. And so that turns that game into a must win for Alabama in a way that maybe even two weeks ago, we didn't think that was a possibility there. I will say, if Georgia wins this weekend, I think they are in no matter what. If they win 12-0 regular season, clearly the best team in college football for the entire year. Even if they were to lose to Alabama, okay. Uh, uh, Alabama probably jumps up to the number one spot. You have Ohio State there as your Big Ten champ, number two. Georgia at number three. And then Cincinnati at number four. And Georgia and Cincinnati, yes, they played last year to end the season in the Peach Bowl. I think Cincinnati played as well as it could have that day. Georgia was missing, I believe, two starters, and and they had a couple of guys opt out of that game there in the Peach Bowl. But, man, if if you told Georgia fans before the season, yeah, they're going to make the college football playoff and play Cincinnati in the first round, I think quite a few of them would start booking their plane trips to Indianapolis. And and so, yeah, Cincinnati is going to come out, and they're going to give Georgia the best shot. But I actually think what Cincinnati did last year might work against them a little bit in this case, specifically if they're playing a Georgia team that knows this personnel, that knows what this team is about and isn't going to overlook them. And certainly you wouldn't expect any team to overlook anyone in a college football playoff scenario. But we are sort of starting to see the pieces come together now. I I think you need, if, if you are a Notre Dame team, I think now you probably need Alabama to lose. And that maybe moves Notre Dame into a four. And you could potentially see a college football playoff four of Georgia, Ohio State, Cincinnati at number three, and then Notre Dame at number four if there's not a one-loss Big 12 champion. I think you could see Oklahoma State or Oklahoma sort of climb in there, be that number four seed, and then have Ohio State and Cincinnati play each other. Uh, Let's not rule off Michigan yet. If Michigan wins this week, essentially everything we have said about Ohio State, because I don't believe they're going to get to the number one spot 
uh, so long as Georgia stays undefeated. Michigan, I think, can make a path there. But really, there are eight teams left competing for a college football playoff spot. I think as you're a Georgia fan, you're getting a better idea. And really, this episode of the rankings in particular, I think, turned the SEC championship game into it's a win or you're out for Alabama. I think that's just the way the writing on the wall is. I think the committee continues to like what Notre Dame has done this season. They are playing very good football. They beat Georgia Tech 55-0 to last week. And shown that while, sure, we don't have the necessarily marquee wins, you're not going to put a two-loss Alabama team in over us. And so because of that, I, I think that ratchets it up the importance of what was already going to be a monumental football game between Georgia and Alabama, number one versus likely when that game is played number three, unless Ohio State were to lose this weekend. So I, I think that makes that – and knowing that, knowing that it is a win or you're out scenario for Alabama, and it might not be for Georgia. I don't believe it will be for Georgia. I think that makes – Georgia's opportunity all the better there because now if Georgia is to win that game, something they have not done against Alabama since 2007, it allows them to sort of say, Michael Myers is dead. We've, we've done it. We've killed our boogeyman, the Baba Yaga, whatever, whatever term you want to use to phrase this Alabama program, the thorn in the side of Georgia that it has been. If you beat them in the SEC championship game and you knock them out of a national title contention, even more so than the 2020 uh, game that they played last year in Tuscaloosa. I think doing that in a way that prevents the, na- the Crimson Tide from winning the national championship, which beating them in the SEC championship, I believe, would now do. I think that's monumental for this program and gives them even more momentum heading into the college football playoff. I think it is something that we're going to continue to look at and obviously discuss going forward. But I think with what we've seen with these rankings right now, I don't think you're going to see Georgia Alabama in a college football playoff semifinal. And so because of that, I think that puts even more intensity and more interest on that SEC championship game. And if you're Georgia, you have the motive of being a number one team and playing a Notre Dame or a Cincinnati or maybe an Oklahoma state. And those teams are not on the same level as Ohio state, or even I would say Michigan there as well. I think I would personally speaking, I would take Michigan over Cincinnati, Notre Dame, and Oklahoma State in terms of talent and what those teams might be able to do there. So your reward for winning the SEC and going unbeaten is now twofold. It's eliminating Alabama, slaying all those demons that you have there, and is not having to play Ohio State in the college football playoff semifinal. So new top four out. Georgia does have two top 25 wins as it stands right now. Arkansas, who stayed in at number 25, and then Clemson now moves up to number 23, I believe. So obviously not necessarily as high as you'd want them to be ranked, but Georgia does still have some some impressive wins. And Clemson sort of turned its season around, throttled Wake this past week. If, if the results break their way, could find themselves playing in an ACC championship game, looking still at a possible 10-win season there for Clemson. So the, the questions about Georgia's schedule that we sort of hinted at, uh, uh, last week have been a little bit alleviated because of the way things have played out. Obviously, Arkansas playing the Crimson Tide as well as they have helping out there. So that is our first sort of topic there for tonight. We're going to move on, talk about George Pickens, a guy who I have admittedly been fairly pessimistic about in terms of potentially seeing him in a Georgia uniform or seeing him on the field for Georgia again, just given all that he has had to play for and knowing that he has the NFL draft coming up and if he can impress there, can really – vault his draft status up. I was always skeptical of would we see him because he's not going to be able to do the things that he needs to do to show that he's a first round pick, at least in my opinion, in sort of that truncated schedule where he still 
you know, it's one thing to get cleared and get back on the field, but it's another to look like the George Pickens of old. I think we've seen countless examples. You think Nick Chubb, Todd Gurley, guys who have those ACL injuries, they're not exactly themselves right away the next year. So, you know, I, I will note, I was encouraged by seeing George Pickens dressed out for this game against Charleston Southern. Now, he did not play in that game, but it is still, to me, an encouraging step going forward of where might he be in, in terms of being with this team and in terms of being engaged. That's something you do with a guy that wants to be with this team and continue playing. And so I asked Kirby Smart tonight, you know, basic injury updates. Chris Smith didn't practice again today. Not going to have him against Georgia Tech, I would believe. Doesn't sound like you're going to have Kendall Milton there either as he comes back from an MCL injury. Uh, but Jamari Sawyer, Nolan Smith, those guys seem in good spots. But I thought what Kirby had to say about George Pickens tonight was very interesting. And this is sort of a move I don't believe you do unless you're expecting George Pickens to come back and contribute in the very near future, a.k.a. against Alabama in the SEC championship game. So here's Kirby Smart giving the latest on George Pickens tonight. Uh, George has been uh, practicing with us, uh, doing more. Uh, we've repped him with the threes and the twos some. Uh, still waiting to get him cleared, but he's not. we didn't have him with the scouts. We had him working uh, with the offense, trying to kind of integrate, getting the calls and knowing the assignments. Um, but he was he was still black jersey, no contact today. Um, who else? So, yeah, I think that's a very positive assessment of where Pickens is. The fact that Georgia is putting him with the second and third teamers. Obviously, he's not working with the starters yet, but getting closer to getting back in the rhythm of things and being a contributor. I don't expect him to come out there against Alabama and look like he did uh, to, to in the Sugar Bowl a few years ago against Baylor or even last year against Cincinnati, uh, where he played his last game there for Georgia. But having him out there, it, it forces Alabama to defend him differently than it would a variety of other players. You remember Dave Aranda sort of talking about how they had multiple packages for George Pickens when he was coming in in the second half of that 2019 SEC championship game. So having Pickens out there opens things up for the rest of this offense and opens things up for Brock Bowers, Ladd McConkie, Kiaris Jackson, Jermaine Burton. It pulls the safeties away a little bit, opens up that running game a little bit more. So I think even the threat of George Pickens as a decoy, even though he might not be his full self, he is such a spectacular athlete that you have to respect what he's going to be able to bring to the field. And so we got a chance to talk to Keela Ringo, who is matching up with George in practice. George no longer worked. He'd been working on the scout team the last couple of weeks, but now no longer doing that, working with the twos and threes, getting out there, continuing to get reps. And I think what you had to hear from Keely here, I thought was really impressive and encouraging in terms of where Pickens is physically. Obviously still has to be cleared. And that's something that the doctors are going to make sure is hundred percent okay with. The fact that he's showing these kind of talent and showing these kind of plays in practice to teammates, I think, again, is an encouraging sign for what George Pickens might be able to, able to give this Georgia team when back in March, at the end of March, when he tore his ACL initially, I don't think there was a lot of optimism. And I can speak honestly here. There wasn't that we'd see George Pickens potentially play this season. George Pickens, um, he's, he's a very good player. He, he, know, he knows what he's doing on the field in all aspects. He actually surprised me to where um, his first day back, he, he was making plays that um, – People didn't realize that, that he'd be able to do and actually come back from an injury like he did. But um, I, I feel like he's definitely helped us actually get better, even working with the second and third team a lot, um, a lot, a lot more, most definitely. And George Pickens, uh, Ohio State has guys that are as talented as George Pickens. Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, Jackson Smith-Nuaba. 
those guys are really good players I mean, that are on the talent level of George Pickens. And so being able to give guys like Keely Ringo, Darian Kendrick, those kind of looks in practice, even though he might not be at the full speed level Pickens that we've seen yet, that's going to help this team get better. But if he's able to actually come out on the field and not even so much make plays for Georgia, but the threat of him making plays, it's going to make everything else on this offense different. And it's going to open more things up for this entire Georgia offense and make what is already a pretty diverse skill set of skill players even more difficult to defend there. Obviously, I think it's encouraging that George wants to come back. He wants to be with this team. And I think that's actually in turn going to help his draft stock. We've always heard good things about George as a teammate and as a player. I, you know, some of the, the, the questions that exist about him have more to do with the school side of it. And, and, but in terms of being in the building, being around guys, being a good teammate, uh, there's largely been evidence that supports that George Pickens is just that. And I think the way he has attacked this recovery has demonstrated that there as well. It could have been very easy for him to say, hey, you know, I have this ACL injury. I'm out. I'm going to start preparing for the NFL draft next year. But he's doing his rehab at Georgia. He's making progress there. I'm still going to be a wee bit skeptical that we see him out there against Alabama until I actually see him on the field, until we actually hear that he is cleared and ready to go. But I, even I, the biggest, perhaps one of the bigger pessimists in terms of what Pickens might be able to do and bring to this team, have to be encouraged by all these sort of updates that we have seen with George within these past couple of weeks, dressing out, working with the second and third team units, working with the scout team, continuing to get reps with this team as he gets closer and closer to potentially coming out and playing again there. So I think that's a very positive update there for, for George Pickens, and I'm someone who admittedly has not been very positive when it comes to the topic of George Pickens. And so having him out there as another weapon, I think, helps this Georgia offense even more in a game where he is going to be needed against Alabama or, or against Ohio State or Cincinnati in the playoffs. My sort of argument with Pickens, you didn't need him to beat Florida. You didn't need him to beat the Missouris, Charleston Southerns, Georgia Techs of the world. But in games against elite athletes, Pickens is one of those difference makers who can elevate his game there. We'll see if he's able to do that off the surgically repaired knee, but I think it's a positive step in the right direction that Pickens continues to make strides and continues to climb the ladder in terms of getting reps there. So that is our second topic there of the night, talking George Pickens there and sort of what he looks like and how he gets back. We touched on college football playoff at the top of the show. New top four, Georgia at number one, Ohio State at number two. Alabama drops to number three, and then Cincinnati comes in at number four there. I think making it very interesting that uh, if Georgia is to beat Alabama in the college, in the, uh, excuse me, in the SEC championship game, that Alabama will be out of the playoff. And that is not necessarily something I think I'd really considered or a lot of people considered as a reality up until tonight. And I think the way that the rankings have moved around and the fact that Cincinnati is now number four, I, I think shows that. So it'll be interesting to see going forward how things sort of look there. So moving on to our final topic, a pet project of mine that I've been working on. And then I got some real news today on it. Um, Brock Bowers, uh, a player that is beloved by many uh, in the Georgia fan base, the number one receiver on this team in terms of catches, in terms of yards, in terms of touchdowns. He has as many receiving touchdowns as George Pickens did as a freshman back in 2019. And I'm not sure how many people really realize that. He is a guy who makes plays in all sorts of games in all sorts of ways. He is shown he can throw a stiff arm he can hurdle defenders he can make guys miss he can make contested catches i can keep describing the ways that george pickens is able to make his this georgia team better having said all that he is clearly one of the better tight ends in the country but clearly the people who hand out the mackey award do not think he is one of the best the mackey award announced their three finalists today for the college football playoff it is a colorado state tight end i believe isaiah lively um, and I'm sorry if I don't remember his name correctly there. You have Charlie Kohler of Iowa State. 
who has similar statistics to Bowers, has a little bit more yards, doesn't have quite the same touchdowns. And I think what surprised a lot of people, Jalen Widemeyer out of Texas A&M, he got the third finalist slot there. He has 491 receiving yards, four touchdowns. Both of those are inferior to what Bowers has done this season. And there were also a couple of Notre Dame fans out there that thought Michael Mayer, their leading receiver, and has a sort of similar statistical profile, fewer touchdowns but more yards than Brock Bowers does. Uh, the fact that we didn't see Bowers, given all that he has had to do for Georgia this year, uh, there were a lot of people that were unhappy about that. Chief among them, Todd Hartley, uh, Brock Bowers' position coach, who I thought sent a pretty interesting tweet, and we're going to throw up the graphic here. Shortly after it was announced, and that's a damn shame. That is what Todd Hartley, Georgia's tight ends coach, tweeted after it was announced that Brock Bowers was not a finalist for the Mackey Award. And, and you know, look, I'm not big on award snubs. You got to tell me who you're taking out. I think it's pretty easy that you could say, yeah, we're going to take out Jalen Weidermeyer. I would have been okay with that. I don't know if Bowers was going to win it this year. It was always, it's always tough for freshmen to win awards, even though, you know, we've seen that stigma change in recent seasons. We've never seen a true freshman win the Heisman Trophy. And I do think there is a likelihood to want to reward seniors. I think that's why Charlie Kohler of Iowa State was nominated there for his for for a, being a finalist. Whereas you look at a guy like Bowers, he is only a freshman. He's going to be back next year and have a similar type opportunity in this Georgia offense. And opportunity is an interesting and deliberate on my ter- on my choice uh, word usage there because I asked Kirby Smart this week, what has allowed Brock Bowers to become your not just best tight end, but your leading receiver? And opportunity played a big part in it, but it also speaks to the preparation level and talent level that Bowers brought with him from Napa, California. So here's what Kirby Smart had to say about Brock Bowers and the way that he has played as a freshman this year. Staying healthy. Staying healthy. You know, we we really haven't had anybody else that's been consistently healthy. Look across the board. I mean, I I don't know that we have anybody that's played in every single game. I mean, maybe A.D. I think A.D.'s been the only guy, and he was a true freshman starting out. Um, much like Brock, but you know he, they both went through the spring, which helped them. But biggest thing, uh, Brock's consistency. You know, number one, he's not just a role player. He can block. He plays with physical toughness. Uh, he's very intelligent. He takes notes. He comes in early, watches his tape, and when you have dependability and talent mixed together, it's usually what you get when uh, you got a guy that's put up those kind of numbers. But I mean, again, it, it takes opportunities, and he's been healthy for all the games we played. So health obviously plays a factor in there and availability is the best ability. And that is clearly an ability that Bowers has possessed. Even Darnell Washington, a fellow tight end had some trouble staying healthy this year. I would point out Lad McConkie has also played in every game this season and he is Georgia's number two leading receiver. And we got a chance to talk to Lad tonight. And obviously in a way I talked about George Pickens earlier and how he opens things up for everyone else. Having a tight end do what, what Brock Bowers has done this season opens things up for wide receivers on the outside as well. It forces those safeties to play closer to the middle of the field. And so I got a chance to ask Lad, from your perspective, what is it that has made Brock Bauer such a dangerous weapon for this Georgia offense and allowed him to be the number one receiver in this offense? He's phenomenal. I mean, be that size and have that, those ball skills and run as fast as he can. It really is it's crazy that, that he, uh, he's able to do that. So. I mean, it's really like having somebody that can block like a tight end and also have another receiver on the field at the same time. So when he's out there, I mean, it, just watching some of the things he does, it's it really is special. Yeah, special is absolutely a word I would use to describe Brock Bowers and what he has done this season. I'm going to be really interested to see how he improves 
improves and how he continues to get better because Georgia does receivers, talented receivers, I might add. And as they get healthier and healthier, and you assume that they're going to potentially be healthy next year, how does that impact his production and how he's able to be used within this offense? But in games against Alabama that Georgia has coming up, in games against Ohio State potentially that Georgia plays, Brock Bowers has shown that he is an athletic mismatch and the kind of guy in those types of games, a la O.J. Howard a few years ago in the national championship game, who on a field of great athletes, as McConkey mentions there at the end, is special enough to be a difference maker in those types of games. I think that is what has been most encouraging about freshman Brock Bowers. He has shown that he is fearless and able to make plays right away as a true freshman. You know, obviously when he plays against Alabama in the SEC championship game, that's going to be the biggest game he has played in his life. And it'll be interesting to sort of see how he plays in that game and how he handles that stage. But I can't help but think back to last time Georgia played Alabama in the SEC championship game in 2018. Third quarter of that game, Isaac Nadig runs a crossing route against the middle Catches a big pass. He's got nothing but green grass in front of him. But he gets dragged down from behind. And Isaiah, Isaac, not a very good tight end. Statistically, the only guy prior to Bowers that was able to sort of replicate the numbers that he has put up. And Bowers has actually already surpassed the numbers that Nada had put up at any point in his Georgia career. Nada gets brought down from behind. And Georgia ends up settling in the red zone. They attempt a field goal. Rodrigo Blankenship misses it. And not a running open in the field there. That was his best. That was Georgia's best last chance to score in that game. And so I wonder this time around. Bowers, I think, is clearly a better athlete than Isaac Nada is. If Bowers finds himself in a position like that, he might be a guy that takes getting from getting dragged down 15 yards short of the end zone to scoring in that situation. And that, in those types of games against the Alabamas, against the Ohio States of the world, are a, a tiny little difference there. But in the final score margin, it really shows up. And if Bowers is able to do that and be that kind of player for Georgia, I think it's got the potential to lead them to a win against Alabama in the SEC championship game. So that's a little spiel there on Brock Bowers. We touched on him, gave the latest on George Pickens, college football playoff rankings. Uh, now I'm going to turn it over to you guys. We can talk about whatever you want, uh, where Georgia sits, who Georgia might match up with in the college football playoff, because I think we all believe – they're going to beat Georgia Tech this weekend, and regardless of whether or not they beat Alabama, and obviously you still want them to win that game, they're probably in the college football playoff with a win this weekend. I don't see a world or a scenario where Georgia drops out of the top four, given Notre Dame does not have any way of sort of making up the ground needed, and Ohio State and Michigan, one of them is going to knock each other out this weekend. So with that, I turn it over to the questions, see what you guys have to say. Uh, let's see. Questions, thoughts, comments. Um, so Roxanne Moody brings this up on Darnell Washington, and I've seen some, we got to get Darnell the ball, we got to get Darnell the ball. You can't have the whole cake. Brock Bowers is doing, even the biggest Darnell Washington fans would not have foreseen him ha having the year that Brock Bowers has had. Brock Bowers has been spectacular, and Brock Bowers has proven that he's able to stay healthy, and Kirby Smart gave a very revealing update on Darnell Washington tonight where his foot injury that he had in the beginning of the season, it has really prevented him from getting up to the top speeds that he had used to, to get to. And so because of that, yes, Darnell's a great player, and I actually think his blocking ability is going to be huge in the SEC championship game as they try to block and chip and do whatever they need to against Alabama's star pass rusher, Will Anderson. But 
Brock Bowers has done everything and more that you would have wanted in a tight end this season. I don't understand taking opportunities away from him and giving them to Darnell when Bowers is showing that it's harder for a tight end to do much more than what Brock Bowers is doing. So uh, Brian McPhail, this is another difference maker in that game. James Cook has been an absolute star this past month of the, uh, of, of the season. He is, I think, showing both the value in coming back and validating what a lot of people have thought about him for a while. He needs to be Georgia's best running back in that game against Alabama. He needs to make a very big impact, a la DeAndre Swift in that 2018 game. And if he's able to play like he did against Tennessee, and even last year against Alabama where he had the long touchdown catch, I think that's going to be huge for this Georgia offense because his speed combination and the confidence that he is now playing with, I think is going to be huge for this Georgia offense. Uh, let's see. Shelton Tucker. Yeah. So I think this is a very real, I think if Georgia beats Alabama in the SEC championship game, I think Georgia would play number four Notre Dame because I think Alabama would drop out and I think Cincinnati would move up to the number three spot and they would play Ohio State in that first semifinal. I could maybe see a world, and I don't think it'll happen with Oklahoma because they've just been so unimpressive this season. Uh, I believe they have one or they have two double digit wins all season against Kansas and against Texas Tech. And they, they get pummeled by Baylor and they're going to play a good Oklahoma State team this weekend who actually. I think could make a playoff case if they're able to beat Oklahoma and then beat Baylor the next week in the big 12 title game. I think that's going to make things very interesting for Oklahoma state. There as a four seed, but if Georgia beats Alabama, I think they're going to be looking very hard at playing a Notre Dame team that they saw in 2019. They saw in 2017 and could see once again in 2021 there. So I think that'll be interesting. Uh, let's see comments, questions, thoughts. Now, I see some people saying he's better than Brock Bowers is better than Kyle Pitts. I wouldn't I wouldn't go that far. Um because Kyle Pitts was really, really good last year in Florida. But you know, I maybe I think Brock could get there someday. He's not quite as big as Kyle Pitts is, but he's a very good player. Um, let's see. I'm going to scroll down. Uh, so Blair Davis, I think this is a good question. How does Georgia match up against Ohio State? I, I think Ohio State's clear strength is their receivers and, and what they have on the outside there. Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, and Jackson Smith-Nuaba are going, and even their tight end, Jeremy Ruckert, who's a very good player as well, are going to test this Georgia secondary in a way no other team in the sport can even more so than I think Alabama can with their body types and what they're able to do and how they're able to win on the outside. That's a game where you need Georgia's front seven to have a Clemson-type game where they just absolutely dominate the Ohio State offensive line, which has been good, but it hasn't been great this year. And you really need them to pressure and, and impact and get C.J. Stroud off his spot. I'd be surprised if Ohio State's able to run the ball on Georgia just because I, I find it surprising when any team is able to run the ball on this Georgia defense with success. They had a lot of issues early on in the year in terms of getting lined up, in terms of identifying RPO plays against Oregon in that loss. And I do think that's something that Georgia can take advantage of, specifically Stetson's mobility. I think that's a game where that mobility is going to be a massive factor for Georgia. I would know Ohio State in, in games, you know, they obviously didn't do it against Michigan State or, or Purdue the week before. This offense is firing in all cylinders. But in games against Nebraska and Penn State, 
they've struggled in the red zone a little bit. And Georgia obviously has as well, and that's been an issue all season for them settling for field goals. But I think to beat this Georgia team, you're really going to need to play well in that red zone area. And that's an absolute strength because Georgia works first in the country in that statistic. And so I think that's really an area where Ohio State's talented offense could really be equalized by struggling to score in the red zone. They had problems with it against Oregon. We mentioned the Nebraska and Penn State game. So I think that's something to really watch there in that game. Uh, crazy for Swayze. I am assuming that is a Patrick Swayze reference. Uh, does any team ha- in the top six have an offense that can beat Georgia? I do think Ohio State is capable of doing so uh, in terms of you can see it. You saw it this past weekend, really what they've done the last two games against Michigan State and Purdue. Obviously not the same caliber of defense as Georgia's, but that that Ohio State offense when clicking is scary good. Alabama is an interesting case for me. I like Jamison Williams as a receiver. The offensive line has had its struggles. They only have two healthy scholarship running backs right now, and they're really only playing one in Brian Robinson in I don't know if Alabama's passing offense designed by Bill O'Brien, quarterback by Bryce Young, is going to be good enough to win being one-dimensional in that aspect. And this defense has given up some really big passing days to to quarterbacks that have not been overwhelming stars. Zach Calzada had a great game against Alabama. He's been very mediocre since then. Uh, K.J. Jefferson looked averages as poor grits against Alabama. uh, Georgia earlier in the season, he threw over over 300 yards and three touchdowns. Now, I would point out Arkansas did need a special teams fake field goal touchdown to to make that a one score game. But having said that, you know Alabama's offense is good, but I don't think it's Ohio State level good. Cincinnati, I don't believe is there. They're not consistent enough to get there. Ohio uh, Notre Dame is not as either. I think Notre Dame would really struggle against this Georgia offense, just given the way that they were playing and the way their offensive line has not been up to caliber in recent seasons. And I think Michigan, you can include same in that Notre Dame tier there as well. Um, let's see. Uh, Jerry dogs fan. No, I do not. I, it was a great win for South Carolina last week over Auburn. A team is playing well, playing hard for Shane Beamer. You like what you've seen from him there. year one, especially with the injuries that they've had at the quarterback position to beat Florida and Auburn with a third string quarterback, I think speaks to what he is trying to build there. But I think this Clemson team is going to get back to figuring out some of the things. And, and I think last week for them was really big in terms of turning a corner and, and sort of finding themselves offensively. So I, I think I think Clemson is going to win that game, move to 9-3 and three on the season. So let's see. Questions, thoughts? Yeah, CatDog which I hope is a cat dog reference to uh, an old Nickelodeon show. Bama is one dimensional in offense. And, you know, you saw in that Clemson game, the dangers that you get into when you can't run the football and, and ultimately stop running a football makes it very difficult, especially with how good this Georgia front is. And I would point out the Alabama offensive line. It's certainly not as good as it was a season ago, but even as some of those offensive lines in pass, I think this is a step down from what Alabama has had up there. So I think you're going to be able to get pressure, even with the loss of Adam Anderson. I think what you've seen from Channing Tindall so far has been really impressive in terms of what he's able to do as a third down pass rusher. Let's see. Uh, DeMarco Thomas. So this is a good uh, touching off point. He's referring here to Tyrion Ingram Dawkins who had a, 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 an encouraging performance 
on Saturday, sort of his first real extended time against Charleston Southern. And I wanted to sort of talk about some of the other guys that caught my eye in that game. Uh, Xavier Sori, obviously getting stripped there uh, and leading to Charleston Southern's only touchdown. You would have liked to see better ball security there, but that was the first time he had really played all season and he really impressed me. His athleticism stood out, obviously had the interception, had another big hit in the game there. He's a guy who you sort of were wondering a few weeks ago, where might he be in terms of the pecking order? He is going to be a player for this Georgia team. And I, I know they're probably going to lose their three top inside linebackers this year in Quay Walker, Channing Tindall, and Nicobe Dean. But boy, with Xavier Sori playing like he did on Saturday, Shmel Munden and Jamon Dumas Johnson, who have all flashed at different times this year. There might be a brief drop off there, but it won't take long for those guys to sort of get up to the same caliber that I think we've seen this season from Nicobe from Quay Walker and from Channing Tindall Georgia's inside linebacker room and front seven as a whole, while they'll lose some players this year. And that might be a popular national media talking point. I think the front seven next year is going to be just fine in terms of, you know, obviously maybe not quite as great, but Jalen Carter comes back. I think if we're able to get Nolan Smith back, I think that's going to help at that outside linebacker position. Nazir Sackhouse is a really good player and makes plays every time he's on the field. Zion Loke has shown in the past that he can play with this defense. So I think Georgia obviously won't be quite as deep and talented on that defensive line, but I think they're going to be just fine defensively next year. Uh, Barry Waters, I do not think... So I'm assuming when you say Sawyer comes back, yes, Sawyer is, I believe, on track to play this week against Georgia Tech. I don't think you're going to see him at guard. I think you're going to see him at left tackle. I think they like more what they're getting out of him at left tackle. I, I think I'll be interested to see, does Warren Erickson continue to play guard? They do have an option there in Xavier Trust, but I think they like what Erickson has given them more consistently than Truss has. And I think Roger Jones is a nice option and maybe an obvious passing down to bring him in as an extra offensive lineman. But if Jamari Sawyer is healthy enough to play and healthy enough to start, I think he's going to be your left tackle. And you will see Schaefer and Erickson continue to play at guards there. Let's see. Uh, so Coleman Wallace, uh, asking about the coaching carousel. It's really starting to heat up here. You see James Franklin today announces he's going to stay at Penn state signs a 10 year, uh, deal to remain the head coach there. Obviously Florida parts ways with this head coach LSU moves on as well. It's going to depend on the job because I'm not sure what Dan Lanning would leave for. Uh, you know, maybe Arizona State opens up with Herm Edwards. He does have a connection there, served there as a GA, and I think he'd fit well there with what they're sort of looking to do from a culture standpoint. But I don't see the mid-tier ACC job opening up or the uh, the mid-tier SEC job. Maybe, maybe Ole Miss opens up if Lane Kiffin ultimately goes on to become the Miami head coach. Maybe Todd Munkin goes to Ole Miss, just given his ties to Southern Miss there as well. I think that Ole Miss job could get very interesting if Lane Kiffin does decide to move on for both Lanning and for Todd Munkin, Georgia's offensive coordinator. But I'm not really, in reading the landscape right now, I'm not seeing the job that comes open that makes it obvious that that's where Lanning and Munkin are going to go. Because I think Dave Aranda is going to leave to become either the USC or the LSU head coach. But I don't think Baylor's Baylor's going to want to be deliberate with who they've got because the last two coaches they've had have will have gotten hired away elsewhere for bigger jobs, and I think they want someone who offers stability there and is able to maintain success for a while. Uh, Mel Tucker, I think, is probably going to end up staying at Michigan State now, uh, and I believe that even before they had gotten pants by Ohio State this weekend. I don't think either one of them is going to take the Louisiana job, assuming Billy Napier gets hired at either LSU or Florida. So I think Lanning and Munkin, which we all thought may have been a foregone conclusion, they'd be gone. 
might actually end up coming back. Barring, watch that old Miss job. I think that's a spot where Lanning or Munkin could end up and, and really make things very interesting. And that's the type of move I think you could see them making there. But other than that, it, it, it's hard. Looking at the way the current coaching landscape is shaping up, it's hard to see where who might go where. Obviously, there's going to be some surprises along the way, but there's not going to be an SEC job. Maybe Auburn opens up if Brian Harson loses badly this weekend, and then they have a December 8th mandate to be fully vaccinated. And he is not fully vaccinated. You will see what happened with Nick Rolovich, and Harson will no longer be the head coach there. So maybe that's something to watch, but. You know, the job opportunities I don't think are going to be there for the quality of job that I think Landing and Munkin are going to be able to get. Uh, Joseph Kennedy, I'm not sure who this is in response to uh, Clarence Dawson. Yeah, so Arkansas gave up 559 passing yards to Bryce Young this past weekend, largely because they were just like, we're going to continue to play our defense, which is rush three, drop eight, and force you to pick us apart. Young is clearly good enough to do that. But if you go back and watch the LSU game, you look at the Florida game, if you're able to pressure Bryce Young, he has struggled in those situations. And so Georgia's absolutely going to have to do that. And you've seen them get creative with Nakobe, with Channing, with Quay Walker on blitzes this year. I think you're going to need to see that against Alabama to try and stifle Young, who has looked every bit as advertised as a five-star quarterback this year. Uh, let's see. Uh, Alco Demeca? Yes. Georgia should play Georgia Tech every year. Uh, I say this as a someone from Roswell, Georgia, as someone who went to high school, who had a lot of friends go to Georgia Tech, whose roommates, uh, multiple roommates, I might add, graduated from Georgia Tech. Uh, I think it's an important game to keep on the schedule. It is not Georgia's fault that Georgia Tech has fallen into a crater under Jeff Collins. And Jeff Collins, I've made it clear for a while, and I do not believe is a guy to make this rivalry more competitive. But I do believe Georgia Tech can be a very good, very good job. You've seen what Pat Narduzzi has done a pit. I think you can win in cities where there is a, a, a stronger NFL footprint than college footprint. It just, I don't believe Collins is that guy. And I think he's even showed, Hey, there's a way to attack recruiting. You recruit the Metro Atlanta area. You recruit the state really well. I just don't believe he's a good enough on-field coach, but Georgia should play Georgia tech every year. If only, you know, even if Georgia tech continues to be poor, would you rather play Auburn the week before the SEC championship game, or would you rather play Georgia Tech? I think everyone here would say Georgia Tech because Auburn's proven they're capable of beating Alabama in some cases in the years past as well there. So even even that part that I don't love to admit, there's value in having Georgia Tech on the schedule there and then playing them in state every year. It is still a rivalry game to me. It matters. You know, Winning Georgia Tech may not feel as great as beating Florida, but lose to Georgia Tech. Remember how you felt after 2016. I can specifically vividly remember – after losing in 2014, just how much it stinks. And I think that's something to keep in mind when thinking about these rivalry games. Obviously, because, again, there are people like yourself asking, should Georgia keep playing Georgia Tech every year when they're this bad? Well, what happens when Georgia Tech finally gets good and proves to be a capable opponent? They lose one time. Oh, is it worth it to keep it on the schedule here? I think you got to keep this game on the schedule because tradition matters in college football. It's what separates it from the NFL. And if you just want to go the NFL route, that's fine. It's not as good a product as the NFL is. If, if Georgia is going out and playing Northwestern, Maryland, um, Penn State the final week of the regular season. I, I like this tradition. I hope it keeps up, even though I understand it might not be popular. I will note, Georgia and Georgia Tech are under contract to play each other every year through 2037. So even with all the changes we're going to see in college football, this game is going to be a constant on Georgia's schedule for the year to years to come. I do see questions about Travis Hunter. I am not intelligent enough to know how to properly answer those, but it's national signing day. I believe it's three weeks from tomorrow. 
going to get very interesting here for Georgia. Uh, Michael Porter asked, do you think dropping Bama motivates them? It shouldn't. Uh, Alabama knows what it has to play for. It has to win its last two games to get into the college football playoff and then keep winning to win a national title. Moving them in college football playoff rankings should not motivate them at all. And actually, I think Kirby Smart had a good answer on this tonight. He was sort of asked, how do you pay attention to it? Uh, do you pay attention to it all? And he was like, no, flatly, no, I don't do it. Uh, he's got so much other stuff to focus on this time of year. I don't think Nick Saban is all that concerned about Alabama as it stands right now, dropping to number three. Now, they lose if if they lose to Alabama or if if Alabama's lose to Georgia in the SEC championship game, you can bet Nick Saban's going to be calling into Sports Center and making a passionate pitch for Alabama to be in the top four, like he did back in uh, in 2017. So I think that'll be something to watch going forward. Uh, let's maybe get one more comment out there. Let me scroll down. You guys have been really good tonight, by the way. Uh, Clarence, I can't channel my inner Jeff because you're going to get Jeff tomorrow night before the Hedges at seven at uh, 8 o'clock-ish uh, in terms of recruiting updates, and I'm sure he's going to have you guys cover there. Obviously, Georgia Lions five-star cornerback Jaheim Singletary uh, over the weekend, adding to Georgia's number one class there. Um, Let's see. One more. Let's do one more comment, and we'll get out of here. Uh, DSA one. So I'll, I'll answer this question. If landing leaves, I'd be obviously will Muschamp is a candidate there to be the defensive coordinator. I'd be very surprised though, if Glenn Schumann does not become the defensive coordinator in the event that Dan landing were to leave. I think he's been on the staff now for six years with Kirby. He's already got a code defensive coordinator title. He is widely respected within that building and by the players there. I don't think there'd be a significant drop off going with Schumann there on the offensive side of the ball. A name to pay attention to Buster Faulkner. Faulkner is an offensive analyst for this Georgia team who was actually the offensive coordinator at Southern Miss two years ago and came over as an analyst when Munkin came in. He's a very well-respected guy. And the guy, from my understanding, is big in the Arch Manning recruitment. Uh, I'm sure that's going to raise some eyebrows here and there. But Buster Faulkner would be a name to watch if Todd Munkin is to ultimately end up leaving and going elsewhere. So that sort of answers the questions that I have there. Uh, let's see. I did just answer two more questions, so I could bounce, but you know, it's Thanksgiving. Let me know what your favorite Thanksgiving sides are. I'm going to talk a little bit about Thanksgiving here because why not? Uh, it's my favorite holiday. Uh, it brings people together. Uh, I know some people like to slander their Thanksgiving food. It is. I love all of it. I make my own mashed potatoes. I deep fry the Turkey. I cannot wait for this Thursday. Cranberry sauce, green bean pass casserole, asparagus pie. We do a deep fried Turkey. As I mentioned before, Cannot wait. Very much looking forward to it. I am pro macaroni and cheese. I'm pro any food on the table. Uh, I know there's been some recent discussion, including tonight, about whether or not macaroni and cheese belongs on a Thanksgiving table. I will note it's more of a Southern thing, and my family does have more Northern roots, so we may not see that quite as often. My sister usually makes it uh, for us in recent years. I, I am in favor of anything and everything you want on the table. I love a good Thanksgiving ham. Uh, the more the merrier when it comes to food on Thanksgiving. And it is very much a day I am looking forward to, I am excited for. I have to watch what I ate during the course of the week to make sure that I am able to properly enjoy Thanksgiving in the way that I want to on Thursday. But I cannot wait for that day. Uh, we're still going to have a ton of content for you guys over the next couple of days. Obviously, Brandon Adams doing Dog Nation Daily tomorrow. No Thursday, Friday show. No cover four, but we're still going to have a ton of stuff. Obviously, leading into Georgia Tech and then 
This time next week, SEC Championship is here. Georgia's back in it. They're going to be playing now number three Alabama. I think that makes the game all the more interesting. Very much looking and exci- uh, forward to it and excited. Uh, thanks again so much for tuning in tonight, guys. We're going to do this every Tuesday, and you guys have been great tonight. I'm sure you'll be great next week. So I really appreciate you guys tuning in. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving out there to everyone. Really looking forward to it. So thanks again for tuning in. This has been Connor Riley for Connor and Coverage. 